All right, well, uh, I'm excited to be in the Word with you today, and we will be in Galatians chapter 5, so uh, I want to just do a really quick kind of recap of uh, what we covered last week, because it, I, I think it's important, because when we look at Scripture in general, uh, we have chapters and verses, right? And when we're talking about a psalm, these are independent typically poems that were written, okay, uh, little essays. And so to break them down by chapters makes sense for us to be able to pull it in context and look at it from beginning to end. But when we're going through a letter, okay, that, that has been penned to a church or a group of churches as it is in the case of Galatians, it's important to remember that those chapters and verses are things that we put in there to help us navigate the Scripture and that this is part of a consistent fluid thought. So Galatians 1 to Galatians 6 is Paul pouring out his heart, bringing some correction, uh, bringing some rebuke, and bringing this sense of uh, of hope that we find within the gospel. And so uh, as we were going through chapter 4 last week, Paul is talking about something that we call adole uh, extended adolescence, and it's this idea of what it looks like to mature and to grow. And this was something that they were experiencing, and there's just so much correlated to what we find even here in, in, in our land in this day and age, and it is this idea that it takes, for some reason, a really long time for some people to grow up, and you can be in a man's body, but it doesn't make you a man. And, and you can get as mad as you want and angry as you want, and you might be able to whip my tail in the parking lot, but can, I can assure you of this, that the ability to beat me down, right, doesn't make you a man. Because stepping into adulthood is about not stepping into all of the benefits and privileges, it's about stepping into the responsibilities that come with it. And so Paul is talking to them about this, this idea of taking ownership and responsibility for your actions. And he ends this thought, right, uh, with the gospel about how that there's this divide, that there are, that there are two different gospels, kind of, kind of all of these different extensions of the gospel and the one true gospel. And he illustrates it by using Ishmael and Isaac as a foreshadowing, right, that took place all the way back in Genesis of how you have the law, right, of the world, but you also have Christ. And so Ishmael is something that is, is, is a child that is born uh, to try to, by, by man's uh, actions, to fulfill a promise, right? God made a promise. Abraham and Sarah, they said, hey, we can do this of our own accord. Like God said it's going to happen. We'll make it happen. And God says, look, I get it. Like you've put all your effort, all your energy into this, right? But you've crossed the line and what you did was wrong and it's not what I had intended. And then we get Isaac, right? And Isaac happens supernaturally. And so now we get this picture, right, of what it looks like to be walking in faith and the promise of God. And so we have Ishmael who is born of man's own uh, works. And then we have Isaac that is uh, birth of God's efforts. And so the, 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 the idea here is that you cannot manufacture a heart for God. You cannot manufacture that. You can be as good as you want to be. You can check all the boxes. You're not going to manufacture that thing. And Paul's going to kind of walk us through the, the steps 
of what it looks like. And, and the ultimate thing is, is it require, in order for you to get a new heart, right, new birth, it's going to require death. It's going to require some things dying. And the important thing to think about when we think about dying is you don't take anything with you. And so in that new birth process, right, you're going to have to let go of some of the old things. And so uh, today I'm calling this just kind of the practical approach that Paul is going to take. And I'm going to remind you because today he gets really spicy at one point, okay, and and we're going to get to that in a moment. But I want to remind you, Paul writes these letters. He writes some really encouraging letters, book of Galatians. Like, he's trying to be encouraging, but he's, he's frustrated, all right? He, he, there's, some, there's some agitation going on, and so some of the tone that he uses here uh, gets a little bit aggressive. And, and, and for me, it just reminds me that it's okay, right, to sometimes be a little bit aggressive. It's okay, right? I mean, there's definitely a fine line, and I can cross that line. I get it, I, I'm, and, and, and I apologize when I do. But I just want to encourage you, like when it comes to the gospel, it is okay for things to bother you. Paul is bothered in this, uh, in, in, in what's happening, at what's happening in this region. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, let's begin. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So I just want to look at these two words, and I think they're words that are relevant to the national conversation that we have going on right here in the United States, freedom and slavery, right? These are, these are words that come up in media, in the news, they come up in context of so many different conversations. And Paul, interestingly enough, is addressing this tone of freedom and slavery even here in this region of Galatia. So the word freedom here in the Greek is liberty. It is a state of freedom from slavery. And so the idea of freedom specifically is that if I am free, what am I free from? I am free from any ownership, any level of ownership. So to be free means nobody has any ownership over me. I am not a slave. There's no, there's, I'm, not, I'm not bound into slavery. And, and Paul's talking here, and he's talking about freedom, and he's saying, right, he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. So Christ, new birth, your identity in Christ, you are found to be free. Free from what? Free from the yoke of slavery. And this word yoke is the, this idea of coupling, and so what Paul is saying to them is he's saying that like when you became a believer, you found freedom. You found incredible freedom. Do not allow yourself then to be bound back, coupled together with slavery. Slavery is something that is tethered to you. And so Paul making this transition between, right out of chapter 4 with Abraham and Sarah, right? And he's telling this picture of Ishmael and Isaac and man's work and God's work here in verse 31 of chapter 4. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And, and I just, I got to tell you, like part of me, when I, when I read this story, I feel bad for Ishmael. I feel bad for Ishmael. But when we look at the fruit of Ishmael's descendants, we see a very works-driven 
group of people, generation after generation of works-driven people. And then we look at the descendants of Isaac, and there is a constant battle to not be works-driven. And so Paul is reminding them that as descendants of Isaac, those that are stepping into the promise, which was Jesus, right? So we get the promise of Jesus if we are Christians, that we are not then in our new birth born of the slave. We are born of the free woman. And the experience that we get to have is that of freedom. So being born again is being born into freedom, and, and this is why, listen to what I'm saying right here. This is why testimonies from all over the world of people who have come to know Christ and live in the physical themselves actively today in the, in the, in the bondage of slavery, in prison, they consider themselves free. It is why in some of the most abusive labor camps in North Korea or China, you will hear testimonies coming out of people who have hope in Christ and see the beauty of who he is in the midst of incredible tragedy because there is a new birth that I cannot fully explain to you in a way that you will comprehend until you experience it. They've experienced it and they see themselves as free, even though from the outside we're looking at it going, that's... They're living a terrible life, and yet they're filled with joy, the abundance of hope and love, ready to sacrifice. Verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So when he says, look here, he is getting their attention, saying, behold, like I need to get your attention because I need you to understand what it is that I'm saying. And, and this is an interesting thing too. He says, I, Paul, right? This word I in the Greek is actually the word ego. And so when we think about ego in today's society, like we think of somebody who's egotistical, somebody who's like, look at me and they're filled with pride, okay? What Paul is saying by using this, this language here is he believes that investing in someone's life should mean something. I've shown up, I've been there. So when I, Paul, right? Like when I myself show up, who am I? I'm the guy that showed up in the middle of the night and helped you. I'm the guy that came and mourned with you in your loss. I'm the guy that came and labored alongside of you as the church was planted, as ministry was beginning to be uh, uh, see, see fruit. I was the guy doing that. And so I should be able to, to get your attention and have some say in your life. And, and hopefully you have some perspective of this, maybe with a parent, right? Uh, ho hopefully your, your dad was a good man. If not, I think you could still get a hold of what he should have been like, right? And so if dad calls and says, son, I need you to listen to me for a moment, right? then the idea is that I'm calling you out. I'm calling the father card. I'm laying this out. Like I'm, I'm, I'm getting your attention. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. It's not just that I'm giving you some random idea, but I, Paul, so he's using his own credentials here to get their attention, okay? Because he believes that that should mean something. I, I gotta tell you, that you, it is difficult in this life 
to pour yourself out for people, to show up and love people in the midst of craziness, and then try to invest in them and help them better themselves and have them step on you along the way, to lie about you along the way. But it is the reality of broken humanity. You will experience that if you're going to sacrifice for somebody. And he references circumcision because it is a physical marking of compliance to this false gospel. And it is something that keeps coming up. We talked about this in the book of Acts, this idea that, that there's these Judaizers, they come behind Paul, he's preaching the gospel, he leaves, and then they say, hey, listen, now that you're a Christian, you've got to get circumcised. And then he finds out about it and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, we didn't, that was never a part of the agreement. That wasn't a part of the gospel. And, and, and so they go and we get the first, like what we would call doctrine, right? Where the elders came together and they listened to this idea and they said, you know what? You're right. We are not going to use circumcision as being some marking of the faith. And so Paul, he keeps coming back to it. Why? Because they want some, some way to prove to everybody that they are uh, these new Christians. And the thing is, is that the identity that's found in Christ has nothing to do with any of this. And so there is this message of compliance that's coming behind Paul. So he's going to talk about it. So he says, listen, I need your attention. It's me. Not just some random Joe off the street. I'm not just some tele-evangelist. I'm the guy that showed up and did the hard work, and I need you to listen to me. We're going to talk about circumcision for a moment because I know that this idea of complying and looking this way is what is being preached to you. And he says, I testify again to every man who accept, accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Testify. What does that mean? It means to protest or to call to witness, okay? So what is he saying? He says, I protest again. I am here and I'm getting in your business. I'm calling you out. I am telling you that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated now to keep the whole law. And he says, you are, served, you are severed from Christ you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. And this picture of severed that he's using here, it is to make of no effect, to be annulled, abolish, bring to naught. This is what he's saying. Th these are strong words. He says, it's me. I need to get your attention for a moment. If you buy into these things, you are cut off from Christ. So this group of people are like, hey, listen, I believe in Jesus. We love Christ. And look at all these other things we're doing. And Paul says, if you're, if you're buying into the rest of this stuff, if you're, if you're adding into the gospel, if you're, I got bad news for you. You're cut off. Like you're severed. I mean, I got I to gotta tell you that as a young Christian, like, that's, a, that's a fear, you know what I'm saying? Like when, when I first got saved, I constantly was dealing with this like idea of, am, am I going to do something that's going to upset God and all of a sudden I'm not going to be saved, right? And I was a part of youth ministries. I've shared this before where, where that was kind of the, the thing that was preyed upon, right? And it was, I got saved every Wednesday night because every Wednesday night in youth group, the, the youth pastor got up and said, if you close your eyes right now, if you were on your way home and you died in a fiery crash, right? I mean, we've got to go as violent as possible. 
uh, to make the point, right? Uh, you can't just die peacefully in your sleep, right? Have you ever thought about that? Like, they're like, listen, if you go home tonight and you just don't wake up and it's peaceful, you know, no, 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 no. It's like blood-curdling horror movie. Somebody comes in and drags you away and kills you. You know what I'm saying? Will you spend eternity in heaven or hell? I have no idea, but I will scream all the way to wherever I end up, right? But they would do this, and then you would sit there and think, and they would say, so right now, if you need to get saved, go ahead, close your eyes, raise your hands. And of course, every week, half the youth group's getting saved, right? And the only reason the other half's not getting saved isn't because they believe in salvation. It's because they don't care. You know what I'm saying? Everybody who cares is getting saved over and over and over. And that's, that, that's because of that immaturity. Like, we're, we're not, we don't understand. We're not getting the full picture of what this looks like. And so, Paul is telling them, like, you can just keep doing all these little things to try to further yourself, but what you're doing is, when your motives are like this, is you're creating this severing that's taking place. And so if you choose the law, you are yoked to the law, right? If you choose the law, you're choosing slavery, and now you are what? Bound to it. You're tethered to it. So it's a warning. And Paul says, it's me speaking, not just anybody else. I need you to hear what I'm saying. You were made for freedom. You were made for freedom. These things are not an aspect of freedom. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And Paul uses the phrase, we ourselves, as a way to reference that there is a separation among the people. Right? So there are, he says, we ourselves, as in who? There are, there, there are those that have accepted Christ, and then there are those that have not. And it's not just this big, like, melting pot of humanity. Our goal is to be Christ-like in our communities so that people will come to know Christ. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So he uses circumcision as this example, but what he, he, he wants to circle back and kind of close a, a loophole here, right? Because he knows that because he's used circumcision as an example that people will start going, oh, you're circumcised, you're not going to heaven. Because that's, that's, that's the method of humanity, right? Like we, we want an outward physical, like where's the tattoo, the scar, the thing that shows. And, 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 and Paul's saying like none of that's going to help you any. Like you can get as marked up as you want to get marked up, as little as you want. It's not going to make a difference. This is something that is happening internally. And so he has used some good examples for us to this point. Abraham believed before circumcision, and Paul believed after circumcision. So Paul, using these examples all the way here into the fifth chapter of Galatians, is helping us understand that circumcision and that outward marking, it's not doing anything for you. It is exclusively belief in Christ. And he says this here, but only faith working through love. So let's take a minute, let's talk about love, because First, he talked about identity, right? So the enemy aims to define your identity. Christ aims to be your identity. Now we're going to get into some love, right? And the enemy aims to define love, but Christ designed love. And Paul is, he's, he's, he's intimate with this idea of what love is. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll begin in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. 
or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And if you're looking in the ESV, you'll see a little footnote there. I just want to point this footnote out to you. This idea, uh, it is that irritable and does not count up wrongdoing. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So, in order for love to be manifested through you, one must know the difference between wrongdoing and truth, right? So, it's, it's perfectly acceptable in your life to go, this is true, this is not. This is helping people, this is not. You do not have to accept what society is putting at you because real love is identifying it based on Christ's terms. And this is what I mean by the, like the enemy wants to define love, but he doesn't get to define love. But the world around you is constantly trying to tell you what love is. They're trying to give you a definition of love. And Paul, writing here to the church in Corinth, is laying out some, some pretty clear things. And he says that, that it, it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. That's not love, right? But it leans into the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So when he's talking about love here in Galatians chapter 5 with us, he is really talking about this picture of how incredibly resilient love as God designed it actually is. So go back here to verse 7. You were running well. Uh, Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. And this picture of persuasion, right, is conviction, a yielding to. And it is only used of self-produced persuasion, similar to submission or obedience. So what he says is, he says this persuasion, right, this thing that you created, this thing that man created, this thing that you've bought into, it's not from God who calls you. And when we look at this word calls, it is very in, a, a very intentional use of it here. Uh, it is in the tense. And that is not a past or a future calling, but a present calling. Jesus is not calling you to one day do a thing. Jesus is calling you to be his right here, right now, where you are at. It begins today. And this is why, like, we, we love the, the language life-giving. John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they could have life and have it to the fullest, right? We believe that dying as a Christian, right, that's a good thing. But living as a Christian is a better thing. That life begins the moment you accept Christ. You step into your eternity, your eternal position that moment. Not when you take the last breath here on earth, but in that moment. Jesus came that you could have life. And that word Zoe life there is life as God intended. Life as God intended. Not just breath in your lungs. Not just like I get to wake up and go do the grind and do the... No. God intends something for you. Paul is referencing it here. It is an active calling on your life. So today matters. And and part of the gospel is 
stepping into that and believing it. Like, I believe in Christ, so I believe that my actions matter. My life matters. The things that I'm doing, they matter. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So remember that Paul is addressing the gospel, and I just will point out that here when he's using this language, poor doctrine spreads like a poison. And that's really what the problem is. This is bad doctrine within the church. He's writing to the churches in this region that have bought into bad doctrine. This is why it is so important that we do not add or remove from Scripture and we do not create our own doctrine that makes the the gospel more palatable to the generation in which we live. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we don't, if we, if, we, if, we get, if we step into that and we become a part of redirecting, we begin to poison and create a leavening that moves throughout an area. More than one church and potentially an entire generation. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. So he says, I'm going to go ahead and say, my hope is that you're going bel- to agree with me, Right? And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So confidence, right, is this idea to convince by analogy. So he says, I'm confident. I'm believing that you get the picture that I have painted for you and that you are in agreement. Verse 11, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision... Who, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So what Paul's doing right here is he's addressing uh, a couple of things. The first thing is Paul preached circumcision before Christ. Remember that he was a good Jew, a Jew among Jews. And so he had preached circumcision. So if people had heard his messages before his encounter with Christ, okay, they would have heard him talking about circumcision. So he has a past. Paul was circumcised before Christ. So he circumcised himself. And then the last thing here is just as a a reminder, and he knows that they're going to be aware of this, Paul circumcised Timothy in order to preach the gospel. And so in order to get Timothy into the place where he could preach the gospel to Jews, he circumcised Timothy. Not because the circumcision saved Timothy, but because by doing so, he could preach the gospel. Can I, can I tell you, like just, I'll just, I just want to put this out there. Like when it comes to being a follower of Christ, right, we should be willing to do some pretty uncomfortable things if it gives us the opportunity to reflect his goodness in this world. And I, I got to tell you that for, for Timothy to be willing to do that, he must have thought something pretty, pretty great about Jesus. He must have thought that the gospel was pretty important to get into certain places. And our world has always and currently needs people, missionaries, that will go into the most dangerous places and do things that seem insane to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
because we might feel like we have a really comfortable place where we're at right now and all of our friends and family have at least heard of Christ, but there are still people today who have not heard the gospel. And if it were not for some who were willing to lay down their lives and willing to go into dangerous places and do uncomfortable things, they would not. And he asks the question, like, you can say these things, and you're right, these are things that are true, but if I am still preaching circumcision as some form of salvation, why am I still being persecuted? The reason he's being persecuted is because he's preaching the opposite. He is not telling people to get circumcised in order to prove that they are a Christian. There is no movement to join. There is no ideology to be peaceful with. You have to be devoted to Christ. That's the, that's the thing. And if you're not devoted to Christ, then that's the problem. And he says when you preach that message and when you talk about those things, of course there's going to be persecution. Now, Paul does not, does not like this. He does not like the things that are being said about him. And I've, I've talked to you guys a little bit about his tone, right? And that the tone in this letter is very different from the tone of other letters. And I just want to say that sometimes when you love people, when you are responsible for people, or when you must defend the gospel from people, your tone changes. If you're a parent, you, you, hopefully you'll get this, right? Like, like when your child is breaking free from your perimeter and running into danger— there is a natural tendency to stop saying, please, please stop, and to start screaming, right? They're running towards the highway, and you're flailing your arms and screaming everything you can, making demands to get their attention. Why? Because you want to save their life. And so Paul is, Paul is, he's been doing that. He's been flailing his arms. He's been screaming and yelling through the pen and the paper. And he kind of sums it up here in verse 12. He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So in case you're wondering what that means uh, in the Greek, because we all want to know what it means in the Greek, uh, to amputate or mutilate by means of castration. So Paul says that I wish that those that are bringing in a false gospel in the middle of their circumcision would have an accident. If you need more, call your mom and dad and get them to explain it to you, right? Now, I, I thought about this, and I thought, well, in the Greek, this is what it means, but what happens if I look up emasculate today? Well, today, emasculate means to deprive, usually a man, of his male role or identity. And Paul says... This is how he feels. He's like, man, these guys are driving me crazy because they're screwing everything up. You've got to know Jesus. It's so important. And I just, I, I wish that this would happen to them. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Let's talk about the flesh for just a moment. Here in the Greek, something created by humanity. It's human nature, right? So he's using the flesh. And I think it's worth noting that just because we hear the term the flesh, it does not always denote something negative. But here, Paul's asking the question, 
are we abusive toward this freedom? Like, are we taking the freedom that's been extended to us, and are we being abusive to it? Are we using our own thoughts and our own ways to take the freedom and somehow manipulate it so that it gives us more and does more for us? Again, just to be clear that not every time that we see the word flesh in Scripture that it's a bad thing, right? I I think it gets used that way a lot of times, especially from the pulpit, but I wanted to point a few things out. Ephesians chapter 5, right? Uh, beginning in verse 31 here, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. There is a good way to control your flesh. There is a good way to operate and be you. When you get married, right? You become one flesh. You have a responsibility as a household now to what? To operate within society, right? So marriage is designed by God and ordained by God, but walked out by you and I. God created marriage. God is all for marriage. He made it. It's a gift. If you get in a good marriage, it's an awesome thing. If you get in a bad marriage, you've got work to do to make it a good marriage. And then what do you do? You walk it out. You live it out. You don't walk around going like like somebody said, like, this is my this is just my first husband. It's only my second wife. I'll get it right eventually. Like I I I, those things are funny. I get it. Like, like that's that is a world thing. Somebody's like, yeah, I've been married seven times. I'm finally happy. Now let me tell you something. If you're in here today and you're divorced, okay? This is the beauty of what it looks like for rebirth, right? Like these illustrations are happening over and over in our lives. Here's the, here's the task. You're married today. Walk it out in the beauty and goodness of who God is. Like do it right this time, right? So why? Why is it important to do it right this time? Because you need to help the world around you see there's a better way, and you can get it right the first time. You can. Not everybody, not everybody did, but that's okay. We begin this journey together, and what is it? It's an active, present calling on your life, right here, right now, today. Another picture of the flesh Paul used in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What is that? I subdue myself and live by faith. I take all those fleshly desires, all those things that want to create and stack against God, and I take them under control. I put them to the side, and I live this life out. How? Living by faith. And so the flesh does not have to be a bad thing. Like, You can take control over it. But when you don't, Paul is here in Galatians 5 saying it is a problem. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh is looking for an opportunity. So if the Bible calls it sin, do not participate under the guise of grace because that is abusive. 
That's what it comes down to. When the flesh looks at it and says, oh man, I know this is wrong, but thank God for grace. Paul says like that type of flesh, that's abusive. That's abusive to the freedom that has been extended to you. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Note what it does not say. It does not say, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall demand your neighbor's love as they are directed. I mean, this is a, this is a, this is a, a concept in our world, right? That like, hey, you need to do what I'm telling you to do. You're not loving properly. You're not loving right. The Scripture doesn't say that. The, love, the Scripture puts love in your court, right? It's fulfilled because you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you know what the good news here is? Like you can control your flesh. You can love yourself well, and you should love yourself well. And if you're dealing with insecurity and your own emotional like who I am type of garbage, like that's good stuff to start sorting through. Because if you're going to be insecure in your own identity, I can promise you, you are not going to securely accept people around you and love them. You're not going to be able to determine when love is a rebuke and when love is acceptance. But can I tell you, love is both. Love is sometimes rebuke and sometimes acceptance. Love is not a just free-for-all, we're all singing kumbaya until we pass out, right? I don't know about you, but if you're inviting me to a kumbaya bonfire, I don't want to be there. It's not my idea of a good time to sit around and, and sing kumbaya all night long. Zoe doesn't like it either. <laughs> right? Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is crazy language. He says, but if you bite, and you're like, well, that's got, a, like, that's got some metaphorical, like, bite, right? No, look at this in the Greek. It says to thwart or to harm seriously. So Paul says that if you're going to hurt each other and create obstacles for each other and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed. What does that mean? To eat until there is nothing left, to injure, to squander. What is Paul saying? He says that if you're going to, if you're going to show your teeth at each other and begin to, to nip and bite and devour, be careful that you do not consume it all. Be careful that that picture of devouring is not you. And this is, this is it. Why? Because those types of people eat their own. I mean, how funny is it, right? And, and, and I'm not going to name any names right now, but how funny is it that some of the, the, the people screaming, cancel them, cancel them, cancel them in culture can themselves find themselves on the end of the cancel stick, right? Like for years, we'll watch somebody who's going after everybody who doesn't act like them, think like them, talk like them, and then all of a sudden you see they turn on them, and all of a sudden they need to be canceled. Like, don't be like that. Don't be like that. And we can't be like that in the church. I'm going to be honest with you for just a moment. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, like if that is your thing is to walk out the door and to badmouth each other, you know what I'm saying? Then I would really prefer that uh, uh, you either accept Jesus and get it right or move on. 
We use this, this, this term, this, this language here at City Church, we beat wolves with sticks, right? So if you're a wolf showing your teeth and you're just out here nibbling around trying to devour each other, you don't have to wait for somebody to come back at you. Like me and the elders, we're going to come for you. You know what I'm saying? And, and we do that with all of that uh, humility and grace. I'm not trying to paint like a John Wick picture for you. Um, I mean, you can think that if you want to, you know what I'm saying? But we're going to come, and the first thing we're going to do is pray that God's going to do a work in your life. But don't come around biting on each other. That's what the world does. They eat their own. And Paul's addressing it here. He's telling them this. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. So how do you control the flesh? How do you make the flesh a good thing? You do the things that God has directed. That's the picture there of marriage, right? Do it the way God said to do it, right? And flesh isn't a bad thing. Do it your own way. Do it the way that the society is telling you to do it. You're not walking by the Spirit. So there is only one way by which the tyranny of these lusts can be avoided, and it is by the Spirit. If you want to escape the the, the, the extremes of sin... What have you got to do? You have got to walk by the Spirit. So walking denotes movement or activity, and it is contrasted to the flesh which destroys. The Spirit will help you move forward in life. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the flesh and the Spirit are are, are identifiable, and it's not open-handed. You can tell the difference between when the flesh is out of control and when the Spirit is leading. You are capable of being able to do that. So you can call sin, sin. You can see, oh, this is sin. You do not have to be subjugated to it going, well, it's really not my place. Listen, I'm not telling you to go get a megaphone and go stand on the street corner and be screaming and yelling at people. I am telling you, you be led by the Spirit. You allow the Spirit of God to do a work in you and through you. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. So this is why it's practical. Paul's just going to lay it out there for you, okay? So if you want to be tethered to slavery... If you want to be in the yoke of slavery, walk by your own flesh. If you want the freedom of God, you're going to walk by the Spirit. So this is what it looks like. The works of the flesh are evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, uh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. This is a long list. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Just in case... You were going to be like the rest of humanity and go, well, that's the list. I don't do those things. Paul, he he left a little bit of an open room here for us to add some other things in because we're pretty creative as human beings, right? Like, right? I mean, we're, yeah, you know, it's not technically that. It's a little bit of, no, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, so it's not a new message. It's not like, look, hey, when I came and I preached the gospel to you, I get it. I I see why you're believing all this stuff because I left part of this out. No, when I warned you before that these are the works of the flesh, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a tough line right there. It's a sticky line. 
It's problematic, right? Because some of the things on those lists are things that creep their way into our lives. And Paul says that these manifestations, they're a, they're a problem. They are a sign that we are being led by the flesh and that we need to do what? We need to make sure that we are bringing change and walking by the Spirit. So that's not the end-all, be-all, because what did he say? He said, identify the flesh that is wicked and evil and identify what's being led by the Spirit and choose to be led by the Spirit. So if you are missing the gospel, then these are the fruits you bear. When the gospel is screwed up in your heart, these are the works that begin to manifest themselves. Now watch this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I want to point something out that was mind-blowing for me. Hopefully this will be mind-blowing for you. If you've ever heard Galatians before, if you've ever heard these verses before, hopefully this is going to be something that resonates with you. Look at what Paul said here in verse 22, but the fruit. So I'm reading through, and I'm looking at commentaries. I'm looking at what scholars have to say about this, and something just blew my mind. I have always seen this list as the types of fruit that we have, apples, oranges, whatever it is, right? But that is not what Paul says. Paul says there is one fruit and this describes it. It is a fruit that, is, that has so many layers of goodness, right? Like if I grab an orange and I have to describe it, I, I don't just use one word. I don't go, it's an orange to a room full of people who have never had an orange, right? And so I begin to talk about the layers of experience that I have within that. What Paul is saying is to a group of people who are walking by the flesh, they're not walking by the Spirit, and he says, let me tell you what happens. There's this incredible fruit that comes when you are walking by the Spirit, and it is filled with things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. It's not a checklist. It's all of it. It's consuming. It is beautiful, and then you contrast that with what he said here in verse 19. Now the works, why? Because the works, these are multiple expressions. It is not just a single thing you've done that's made up of all this crud and as long as I get the majority of it. No, no, no. Very intentional language here. He says the works of the flesh manifest themselves in these crazy ways. They're poisonous. They're, they're incredibly bitter and destructive to you. But the fruit, the one fruit that comes is one that it touches every aspect of your life, every scenario and environment. It transcends this very moment and this very understanding that we all have. Something that's interesting here is he lists out nine characteristics of this fruit. In the first three, love, joy, and peace describe life in its mystery. Like, like, how do you describe love and joy and true peace? Like, those are the mysteries of life. If we could figure out how to, to make them and put them in a bottle, we would give them out to everybody because these are the struggles. 
He goes on and says, patience, kindness, and goodness describe life in its manifestation to man. Like, this is how I interact with humanity. So when I've got the fruit of the Spirit, like, there's mystery that's taking place, but there's something tangible that I'm interacting with the people around me. There's something that they're gaining that the works of the flesh just don't bring And then faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, they describe life and its relation to the difficulties of the world. Right? I mean, the the big question that gets asked by the atheist is like, well, if God is real, then then why this plague and why this natural disaster? And the, the thing is, is like as we begin to dive into Scripture, we begin to understand in the context of Genesis to Revelation that we bring this destruction. And that God is, is, is immutable. His character doesn't change. And so the idea that, that you and I would do, we would break any law that we needed to break to rescue a child, God does not break the law. And you might think to yourself, like, I would speed as fast as I had to speed. I would drive over the median. I would run red lights. I would do whatever to get my child to the hospital if it was life and death. I would do that. And yes, and I'm not faulting you. I wouldn't be chasing behind you telling you to slow down, right? I'd be honking my horn, clearing the way. But, but, but just as likely as we are to break the law, we are just as likely to bring destruction so the, 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 the sin that has been uh, unleashed on this world has wreaked havoc. And God, He doesn't break the law. He's immutable. And He understands that, 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 that there is a, a sin nature that is at work and the world is crying out. It's, it's groaning for a return to its original state. And what happens when we accept Christ and we walk by the Spirit, all of a sudden, like there's something that is demonstrated in the midst of terrible experiences that the world cannot duplicate. As, 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 as hard as it may try, it cannot duplicate it. And so the big idea is that Spirit does a work in you that changes every aspect of your life. When the Spirit of God is in you, it changes everything from the mystery to the day-to-day interaction to the way that you respond to the tragedy and broken nature of the world. Paul says, in the flesh, you're going to go out for the short thrill, the good time, the most profit, but in the spirit, you're going to blow people's minds because nobody acts like that of their own accord. And this is the contrast that he's bringing. And he's saying, like, you've got to get this thing right. Believe in Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, there is a spirit that begins to to rule your life. And all of these things are an overflow. You'll do some of the things that are on your checklist. Yes. Why? As an overflow, not as a means of salvation. And so, In summary, a person's conduct is simply the outcome of their character. If I were to sum it up, this is what Paul is saying to them. What does your character look like? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions 
and desires. I'm wrapping up right here. Crucifixion was a lingering method by which to die. So this was a, a good illustration because crucifying the flesh, right? When he talks about this, he's not saying it's simple. He's not saying it's quick. It's not like a light switch. This is a, this is a painful and long process for some of us. Crucifixion brings death, which is necessary to be born again. Watch what he does here in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This picture of step is different than when we were in verse 16 and he said, walk by the Spirit. Okay, so when you walk, it's to tread all around, to move. So walking by the Spirit, it's constant movement. You're not stagnant. You're, there, there's, there's stuff that's constantly happening in your life, but to keep in step with the Spirit, that is to march in rank, to understand that it is not I who leads and directs, but it is Him who leads and directs. And so God knows better than I do, and I'm going to allow His Spirit to lead me. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul is speaking to a national problem. So to soften the rebuke, he includes himself here in this. He says, let us. Why is that? Because can I tell you that even though I'm a pastor, and even though anybody is a pastor, a prophet, teacher, evangelist, apostle, they are not beyond having to navigate their flesh. So he says, let us, what, not become conceited. What is it? To be conceited is to have self-glory. Don't, don't let it be all about me. Let us not provoke. To provoke is to believe oneself is the strongest. When you provoke somebody, when you're pushing their buttons, it's because you believe that you have the ability to have victory. So don't look at yourself as being better than somebody else and provoke them. And then to envy. To envy is to believe oneself lacks power or opportunity. So he says, don't provoke, don't walk around like you're all powerful, and certainly don't walk around thinking, I wish I was stronger like them. What is this a picture of? This is a picture of being confident in who you are, a child of Christ. What's my identity? I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. I mean, but how do you, like, like how, how do you describe yourself? I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. His word is, is, the, is the truth by which I bind my life to. I can tell you my hobbies, my interests, but let me tell you at the end of the day, if you want to know who I am for eternity, I am a child of God. And if you're a child of God, you're my brother, my sister for eternity. And we've got one father. And Paul's reminding them this. So my question for you this week what are your works? And what is your fruit? Let's stand to our feet and let's close. Come on, there is an incredible opportunity in your life as a child of God to walk by the Spirit and experience freedom and no longer be yoked to slavery. So whether you are sitting in this room right now or you are watching online, God is offering the same experience to you. Do the work of crucifying the flesh and walking away from the works of the flesh and allow the Spirit to lead and guide you and you will experience the fullness of who He is and in so doing, you'll experience the fullness of who you are.
Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it just, it pushes us in the right ways and it, and it draws us out in the right ways and it convicts us in the right ways. Today, Lord, I pray for those that are your children, those that know you, that today they would be, that they would not be convicted to a place of guilt, but to a place of freedom, Lord, if they are manifesting the works of the flesh, that they themselves would repent of those things and turn to your Spirit. Lord, may your Spirit rule and reign in every one of your children's lives. Lord, for those that do not know you, then they are experiencing all of the hurt and misery that this world can bring, struggling with trying to figure out who they are themselves. God, that, that if today they are beginning to ask the question, is there more? Lord, I pray that your spirit would do what only your spirit can do, and that is lead them to you. Lord, we celebrate with anyone that is coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord of their life today. And we ask that you move in our lives. In your mighty name, amen, amen. Guys, before you leave, if you need prayer, our prayer ministry teams are in the back. If you're online and you need prayer, please connect with us. Let us know. We want to be in prayer with you. If you want to know Jesus as Lord of your life, it is not, there's no, there's no big magic spell. There's not a series of sessions that you pay for. The scripture says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he is faithful to save you. Begin the journey of discipleship, knowing his word and walking by the spirit. Hey, we love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. As always, go change your world.